0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision.
1: We're going to be talking about a new documentary that's not out yet, but it is a production of the Centre for Public Christianity. It's called For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. But talking around some of the issues that come out of the idea that the church may be better or worse, but what are we like today and in our context in Australia? How does the gospel speak to a culture that's obsessed with individual freedom? Well, that'll be our topic of conversation today around individual freedom. What do you think is happening in Australia today? Are we having some sort of national identity crisis Are we grappling with all these issues, sexual, racial, religious and gender identities? Have we listened too closely to all those Disney movies that told us never allow someone else to tell us who to be? Some will say we are obsessed with individual freedom. How do we balance knowing who we are, knowing our true selves, with our responsibility to others? Well, it's an interesting conversation, one you can be a part of, and our very special guest today here in the studio with me, Justine Toe, who is Senior Research Fellow at the Centre for Public Christianity. She has worked at Fairfax Digital before completing her doctorate in Cultural Studies at Macquarie University. She is speaking and writing regularly about the trends that are shaping contemporary culture. She's in southeast Queensland because she's been part of a national tour with her colleagues John Dixon, Simon Smart and uh, these two guys along with Justine uh, speaking around the nation in major events talking about some of the insights they've gleaned from the production of their new documentary but also addressing all of these significant issues that are shaping us as a nation. And I want to make a special welcome to you, Justine Toe. It's great to have you in the studio with us here on 2020.
2: It's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Neil.
1: Justine, if we talk just generally as we get this conversation underway, when we talk about this idea of individualism, and we might contrast that with you know, what we might think that a tribe or a collective group of people might share common values with. How do you describe this in, this individualism that we'll talk about this next hour?
2: Well, I think that Dale Keane has put forward a really um, interesting and clear way of understanding this. He says that we today live in what he calls the I world, the world of individual freedom, as opposed to the T world, the world of tradition, where your position, your expectations for your life were largely uh, given to you or dictated to you, shaped by your family, your class, your religion, and this would in some way shape your life. So you just kind of were born into a particular kind of you know world, and because your father might have been a baker, well, that's what you would do as well. We don't live in that world anymore. And in some ways, it's great that we don't because now we can let, um, we can decide our own ambitions for ourselves and, and, and move forward uh, with our lives, not thinking that and automatically that our past is going to dictate our future. So there's a lot of opportunity in the I world that we live in. And I don't want to diminish that at all. You know, I'm very grateful that we do live in the I world. Um, but I think it also comes with its costs. And a couple of those costs is what I'll be talking about tonight. Um, and at these events around the country and one of those costs happens to be that um, we don't want others to encumber us in some way you know like the fact that if I was to receive a job offer from overseas you know in an eye world from an eye world point of view I might decide oh okay well I'll take that job offer and you know I won't think about my friends and family necessarily and how they their lives might be affected if I were to remove myself from this life and go seek life elsewhere now like no one is really that kind of um, insensitive when it comes to the needs of others. I, of course will take into account my husband and also my my children and, and their lives and what how the, the disruption to their lives if we were to move overseas. But it's interesting to think that when it comes to my best friends, I largely assume that they will bless whatever I choose to do. and I'm sure they would because they they want um, me to develop and grow and all the rest of it. But it's quite interesting to think that it's just common sense for us to think that we can just uproot ourselves at any moment, and you know, barring and then also, I'll go with my family. But what about my obligations to my friends, for example? You know, would how would their lives be affected if I were just to simply remove myself? So that little example, I guess, gives us an insight into how um, how much we take for granted this world of the indiv- of the individual freedom that. Um, I'm talking about today, and it does have incredible co- uh, incredible opportunities but also comes with costs, particularly when I start to think of my own um, flourishing perhaps at the expense of others.
1: Well, of course, the world is getting smaller too, isn't it? Because those sorts of decisions that we might make about, you know, as you use the example of uh, – of- getting that job offer overseas, well, it's easier now for family to visit because they can just jump on a plane and come and visit. Or we're connected so well through social media that somehow or other, even though we're on the other side of the world, that... Uh, we can still be connected and we might see our friends just as often, even though we're not uh, living around the corner from them. So there is a sense, isn't there, that if we're talking about this I world, uh, the consequences, the advantages that you're talking about uh, should be one of the considerations, uh, even if we're going to talk about some downsides.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um, But I will will pick up on your point that, that you can sort of be in touch with family and friends via social media. It seems to, you know, isn't, isn't there that, that, that horrible Christian saying, I'm there with you in spirit. You know what yep. I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would want to say that I'm a big believer. I'm not a Luddite. You know, I, I love technology, but I do think that it has estranged us from each other in ways and we, we can use it to hide from each other very effectively as much as connect with each other. So I'm a big believer in, um, sitting down to dinner with people that you love. And, and that's not just simply just seeing a screen in front of you and the image reflected back at you. But, you know, seeing, sitting in the presence with a real live human being. So I'm, a real, I'm really in favour of that, I have to say.
1: And, of course, when we are connected only by social media, uh, we can so more easily uh, create an image for ourselves, which mm-hmm. may not be the truth. We might be very insecure. We might be breaking down on the inside. But the image that we can have is that uh, everything's going well and uh, we're on top of the world. And, and in actual fact, uh, we're not being uh, an authentic Image bearer to our close friends, if we're not looking at them face to face, is that is that part of what you say? Yeah, saying?
2: absolutely. I also think that um, when we are creating that image of ourselves, in some ways, I would link that with this eye world that we're living in, because now, because we have, we're no longer necessarily defined by the past and where we've come from. We are free to make something of ourselves for ourselves. If you know what I mean. So that is wonderful because none of, none of the sorts of – like no longer can your class necessarily or your race or your um, gender, these won't necessarily hold you back to the same extent as they might have in the T world. But now in in, a, in in getting rid of all those things that might have held me back, I now bear full responsibility for making something of my life. And that is exciting, yes. It also comes with great responsibility and it actually is quite anxiety-inducing because now if, if I fail – I only have to look in the mirror, you know what I mean so and, and that I think creates the pressure to um, to look a certain way to present ourselves a certain way to show that oh everyone's everything's fine on the outside it's okay, I'm keeping it all together uh, when the reality may be maybe quite
1: different. And of course, the image that we might create could be career oriented and certainly materialistically oriented. Uh, we might be able to apply for various job description, you know, various jobs that might be advertised because we've got this sort of image of of who we are. You know, the master of the universe, the person who can tackle and handle the responsibilities of a high paying, high profile position. Uh, those sorts of things. A lot of people would say if they're you know in motivational speaking type of uh, uh, settings. Uh, people would say this is the image that you need to create, but those are not always authentic images, are they? No. And, no. and, and as you say, there's downsides if you do then present this image, and then you fail. Uh, there's consequences for how you actually uh, you know respond to that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, when because we live in a secular context that's largely gotten rid of God or assumes that God is not there. Um, it's like our hopes for flourishing remain confined to this world, if you understand what I mean. So there's no longer the consolation of the next life, which would be a heavenly existence. There's no longer that consolation to look forward to. This world is the best that we can get. So heaven we need to create on earth. So this, um, so things like careerism, things like having a beautiful body, things like all this sort of stuff – it has to make. We have to make the most of our lives right now because we won't get a second shot at it. Like I'm just talking about the mindset of of living in a secular context that's largely dismissed the, the notion of God. And so, um, Neil, have you heard of the the phrase FOMO, fear of missing out?
1: I have heard of it. <laughs> yes, I'm not I'm not uh, deeply uh, of a great understanding of it, but yeah, the fear right. of missing out. Yep.
2: I think that um, that there is a there is a deep metaphysical kind of weight behind that fear. Really, I mean, we use it in terms of you know, because people post all their activities on social media, you can see that you know your friends went to this fabulous party on Saturday night and you weren't invited, right? So you can see what you're missing out on. Um, but the fear of missing out that I'm talking about, I say I would say, is because we we, we think that um, there's nothing awaiting us beyond this particular life. We have a great fear of missing out. We have to make something of our lives right here right now. And so that, um, powers all our efforts to do something with our lives. It's it's underwritten by this anxious kind of need to make something of ourselves. And I think that it, in itself is incredibly anxiety-inducing. So when we hear about the rates of depression in the West and the rates of anxiety in the West kind of getting really um, high, I think that's that's to do with a lot of things, It's to do with the breakdown of community. But it's also to do with this responsibility and this pressure to make something of ourselves, uh, especially because – sorry, I'm just going to – Um, speak all over you, Um, especially because if you're living in a world that's gotten rid of God, then you don't have a real sense of who you are before him, right? Um, And so you only have each other to look at. You can only understand your significance or not in relation to the people around you. If you If you don't have a transcendent understanding of who you are, I mean, it's such a profound Christian truth to say that you are made in the image of God. And that gives you meaning, that gives you purpose, that gives you value, despite anything else in your life. Um, In a society that's largely kind of moved away from that understanding of the person, it's not surprising that we would see uh, anxiety and
1: depression as the way it is. And when we talk about taking God out of the equation, because if we get into our conversation and talk about Australia being post-Christian, now you and I can point to those historical facts of our history that have created a Christian nation, Uh, but now as you say, in this day and age we're moving away from that and people are trying to take God out of the equation, which is bringing to the fore uh, this idea of, uh, well, we get to write our own future. Some people are into revising the history, uh, and we can always just uh, quite easily come back to talking about the history. We can defend that. Not quite so easy to defend the way people are going to rewrite or write the future, because it's almost as though people are trying to have some sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy Uh, That if they say, this is who I am, this is who I want to be, that that will come to pass. Because politically speaking, this is perhaps why people are discussing the idea of a revival of this sort of cultural Marxist idea uh, of Marx and his ideas about a political future. Because uh, without God, somehow or other, we have to be the master of our own direction for the future. Is this uh, taking us off uh, on a whole lot of different tangents here there or what, do, what are your thoughts?
3: Lo- there
2: is a lot there Neil <laughs> 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 I might just start um, first of all by you mean you mentioned the idea of being a Christian nation. I have to admit I, I find myself quite uncomfortable with that idea in the sense that um, you know the, the, the idea that there could ever be a Christian nation I think is a scary one because we know that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And if Christianity achieved legislative power, even though I'm confident that there would be so much good that would be achieved, you know, it's only through looking at um, the the past and we have done that in the documentary when we've seen that the church has acquired power. It hasn't always worked out very well. And that is a huge understatement. However, so I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of a Christian nation for that reason, but I will say very much so that uh, the West has been deeply shaped by its Christian heritage and it has been marinating so long in a Christian influence that it's almost though we don't even, all these things that we take for granted about the way that we live today, we no longer understand that it has some sort of genesis or profound shaping influence. Like the Chris, the Christian faith has had a profound shaping influence on that. And um, one example of that is the idea that everyone is valuable. Like it, it sounds so kind of um it's, it's it's it sounds almost trite to say that today because it's we simple everyone, but very profound it is incredibly profound i mean I in the world that uh, Christianity was first um that, that Christianity was born into ancient Greek uh classical Greek and uh, Greece and Rome you know human life just didn't have the value that we're talking about today I mean if uh, girls weren't favored as children if um it was completely routine for them to be exposed, discarded on rubbish dumps. And, you know, there's other parts in the world today, India, for example, where that happens, you know, and people are even opting for sex-selective abortions so that they don't need to have a girl child. And I don't look at, I don't, I don't blame the individual people involved. I look at the, provo- the, the the huge kind of social currents that are shaping the um the society and the culture's understanding of what it means to be human, and I blame that, you know, versus the, the individual person. But Um, Even my own kind of heritage. I mean, I'm my family's from. I'm I'm Chinese. My family is from Malaysia, and I haven't grown up. I've always grown up in Australia, but you know, I can say that there isn't the same sort of respect um, for human life. You know, really in that in that culture as well. A couple of years ago, there was a very distressing story about this this toddler who was um, in a marketplace and she was hit by a van or something. And there was something like 19 people who walked by. All of this was captured on the CCT footage. 19 people walked by before someone stopped and actually checked on her. Now, a lot of Chinese people were outraged by that, and rightly so. But I wonder, you know, what's what, what, what does a place come to? Or, you know, in, in, those, in those sorts of um, examples, something profound seems to be revealed about a people that's a little bit, and I, I'm, I hate to sort of out my Christian brothers and sisters like this, but, you know, I, I, I don't know if there's a huge um, respect and value for, on human life in the same way as, as the West has. And I think that's largely because, because of that Christian influence that the West has had.
0: Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on vision
1: you can join our conversation today we're talking about how the gospel speaks to a culture that is obsessed with individual freedom dr justine toe is our guest senior research fellow at the center for public christianity we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316 justine let's take a call from sue in underwood in queensland hello sue welcome along
4: Hello, good morning,
1: Sue. What are your thoughts on our conversation today?
4: I sort of um just came in on the conversation with the last lady that was talking about um, uh, the the way that people have had like um, their rights taken away from them things like that um, I think I've got that right, but um the thing that comes to mind uh when um, I was hearing what was going on is like I, I was reminded of a Ray Comfort um, DVD that I was watching where he actually asked people, it was one to do with um evolution and things like that, like a lot of people that are brought up nowadays, they're kind of like got this uh, uh, in the schools and everything with the, the survival of the fittest and evolution and all that sort of thing, which takes away the value of human life for starters in the first place because you're not really um, a God's mindset, it's it's kind of like each and every one for themselves. And one of the questions that um, Ray Comfort actually asked this particular person was if you had um, like your pet that was drowning in a pool or someone that you know, who would you save? And it wasn't just this one person. There was a couple of people that answered. They said that they would save the pet <laughs> over over a life. And I'm like, you—that that is just so serious. But the concept of like everyone for their own, um, each to their own, it's a very... Um, Well, obviously, from a Christian perspective, it's a very fleshly way to be living.
1: Sue, good thoughts in all of that. Let's get a response from Justine because Sue's making some very powerful observations here about what happens when you leave God out of the equation and all of a sudden our pets become more important than our neighbours. Your thoughts for Sue?
2: Sue, thank you for, for, for your call. Um. I, you know, when you said the survival of the fittest mentality, I was like, yes, absolutely. And without giving away um, what I'm talking about tonight, I think that there is very much a survival of the fittest mentality in our world at large. You know, it's not just, I think, um, well, I will give it away. (laughs) So Amazon, I'm sure everyone's familiar with the online retailer. They have a very famously brutal workplace culture where people get ranked every year according to their performance And those at the bottom actually get fired. That was the case a couple of years ago. I believe it's no longer the case at Amazon, but um, it was the case there. And one human resources executive described this process as purposeful Darwinism. So in some ways, there's no kind of um, denying that there is some kind of survival of the fittest mentality going on there. And it also – um, happened that at Amazon, people who had suffered, you know, a stillborn uh, death or a death in the family or were struggling with breast cancer, some of them were put on performance management um, plans, which is a way, it's just kind of code for, we're going to um, be really looking at you because your personal circumstances are affecting your ability to be productive at work. So, I mean, that some people have said that these stories coming out about Amazon's brutal workplace, um, are a little bit exaggerated or whatever, but I think it's fair to say that this sort of survival of the, of the fittest mentality is kind of affecting, um, us, not only in, uh, what we learn about the world, but also the, 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 the actual jobs that we have. Um, and then you also mentioned about how people would rate their pets as of more importance than the other pet person Yeah, I I really hope to think that when it came down to it, that someone would try and not only save the other human, but the pet as well, perhaps, but not choose one at the expense of the other. Um, But it is a little bit concerning to me that people start to seek in um, non-human avenues, and I would include pets in that, but also things like technology, um, the sorts of comfort that can really only be had um, from another human being. And I think that is something where the um, where Christians can be most effective, showing how how much we care for each other and how much we care for vulnerable people in our community. That's a real testament and a testimony to uh, what we regard as valuable. So I think I hope that if anything, it's a call out there for Christians to kind of be the sorts of people who will care for everyone regardless. And that will be a powerful statement to others looking
1: in. Sue from Underwood, thank you so much for a great, insightful observation. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, we're not too far out from the news. What Sue was describing is... Uh, what happens if you live in a post-Christian world? And perhaps people are choosing to live in a post-Christian world, a post-Christian Australian, and therefore these... Sorts of ways that we might respond in situations like she's talking about—a dog and a friend drowning. Which one do you save? These all of a sudden, uh, the, the values get thrown completely out, and this is this is one of the things that will happen on so many different ways uh, across so many different scenarios.
2: It will, it will, Neil. Um, but I, you know, I mean, at, when, at, um, at my worst moments, I fear this sort of conversation because I think, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's happening? But at my best moments, I feel like it's okay that these sorts of questions are being asked because we're being asked to interrogate what really matters to us and what our beliefs really are, you know what I mean? So um, even though, you know, it might outrage Christians that someone might think of, of um, saving their dog before granny, for example, um, at least to a lot of people listening into the conversation, they'll be be forced to ask the question, oh, what would I do in that situation? Surely, you know, like you'd save a human life, surely. But then, hopefully, they could go that extra step and kind of go, "Well, why? Why is that? Why would I save my grandma, even though I love, you know, my dog <laughs> very much?" So, um, and hopefully, that would um, make them say, "Okay, well, somehow we do operate with this notion that human life is different. Doesn't mean that, you know, we um, that all other life gets churned up in the quest to preserve human life, but." That we try and uh, give preferential treatment, perhaps, to humans when it comes to those sorts of situations. Um, you know, hopefully, people will be able to say there is something that has shaped our cultural values and our understandings of the world and of human life to to, to mean that we we place a greater p- priority on those sorts of things. And I think that Christians have a have a have a wonderful and very unique, extremely unique um, way to contribute to that conversation because we can say human life is valuable not for what anything that the person can do, but because it's made in the image of God. And that gives it a dignity and value that they can't get anywhere else and that they actually can't, and that actually can't be taken away from them as well. So even though uh, the conversation may be a little bit frightening and shocking, I think it's a great opportunity for Christians to be able to, to speak into that situation.
1: Dr Justine To is our guest. She is Senior Research Fellow at the Centre for Public Christianity uh, in South East Queensland tonight and uh, therefore uh, is sitting in the studio with me today. Tonight, Justine, along with her colleagues, Dr John Dixon and Simon Smart from the Centre for Public Christianity, are addressing audiences in Brisbane at the Nexus Church in Flockton Street at Everton Park, 7.30 tonight, then tomorrow night on the Gold Coast at the New Life Uniting Church in Greenwich Court, Rabina, 7.30. Both of those are free, and they'll be unpacking a lot of the issues that have come out from their research into uh, this issue and for this documentary, For the Love of God. Justine, as we continue our conversation, and we raised in this last half hour the idea of us living in a post-Christian world. How does this new documentary show us the difference that it makes if you leave God out of the equation, if you understand where we are at this point in Australia's history.
2: Well, before we get into that, Neil, I feel like I really should say that unfortunately John can't make it to these events. He's actually um, come down with some sort of illness, some sort of bug. So that's meant that he won't be there tonight, but I will be there and Simon Smart will be there and we would love to see you rock up anyway um, because it's important for us and to talk about And undoubtedly
1: you and Simon and uh, listeners will know that Simon's been my guest a number of times yes. and uh, what an outstanding communicator he is and no doubt that you and Simon together will cover uh, John's uh, John's con- contribution and uh, certainly uh, wish him well getting well uh, from this whatever he's got. Yeah,
2: thank you, Neil. <laughs> um, but yeah, when it comes to the documentary, we... Um, because, you know, at the Centre for Public Christianity, we listen out for the sorts of things that people say about Christianity and about Christians. And, you know, in the in the secular spaces that we find ourselves in, the attitude toward Christians went from it's irrelevant, it's outdated, to it's actually harmful and we need to kind of resist it with all our might. So um, that kind of meant that the documentary that CPX was working on, a documentary about world religions, was actually shelved so that we could put all our energies and focus into this project. So the idea is that um, we want to unearth 2,000 years of Christian history and talk about the bad stories as well as talking about the good. Um, We don't want to downplay the kind of negatives that have and the the terrible tragedies that have happened when Christians um, have gone away from uh, what Jesus has asked them to do. But we also want to say that when people have, um, you know, listened to Jesus' words and lived their lives accordingly, some beautiful things have resulted. Now, in doing this kind of good-bad thing, we're not trying to, um, you know, come out and weigh up the scales and say, okay, in the end it's been far better than it has been worse. We are saying that, like our guiding metaphor, if you like, is the idea that Jesus wrote a beautiful tune, he read a beautiful tune, love your enemies, do good to those um, who hate you. Um, the first will be last, um, serve each other, bear each other's burdens. So Jesus wrote a beautiful tune, and when Christians have sung in tune with that, they've, the world has been changed wonderfully. When they've butchered the tune, then things have turned out terribly as well. So we're not trying to say, you know, the good has outweighed the bad throughout history or whatever. We're just trying to say, listen to the tune that Jesus wrote, and now you have a measure to understand if Christians are singing it well or singing it badly. So we're in some ways we're inviting people, secular non-believers, to look in on um, the church's activities through th- through the past and today as well, and to kind of say. How much does that line up with what their founder
1: believed? And I know that people will be excited by the idea that this is not some sort of a propaganda documentary that just presents all the good bits and leaves out all the bad bits, and it's like a sales documentary. It's not like that at all. In fact, what it rings uh, to me is this idea of authenticity, It's like when you think of the Old Testament and all of the good and the bad things that the kings did. You know, if you look at the Old Testament history, just a roller coaster of good and evil. And really, it's an authentic look at the formation of a nation. And so when you talk about then the history of the church and say, let's have an authentic look. Let's not just talk about all the good things as though it's some sort of a sales propaganda video let's talk about the bad things too so that we can get an accurate idea and assessment and then we can actually then look and see what the threads are that are good that we need to hold tight to and those things that are uh, things that we need to be cautious about because we don't want to fall into those same traps again. Is that an accurate way of talking about the the way you want to be authentic?
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, it is probably important for me to, to clarify as well that we can't be comprehensive, right? I mean, even though I did say we're looking at two thousand years of Christian history, I mean that that's true up to a point. We can't, if we were to do that, this documentary would be three years long, not just you know an hour <laughs> and a half, hopefully for a cinema yep. cut. Um, but we just want to look at various kind of episodes, I suppose, throughout the church's history and the way um, that Christians have behaved over the last two thousand years, um, and to see to see these sorts of to pick out these episodes and say, okay, they were definitely not playing the tune here, you know when. When Christians slaughtered a bunch of Muslims who'd um, sought shelter in the Al-Aqsa Mosque, um, when they broke in there and slaughtered them, that wasn't the right thing to do. You know, Jesus said, "Love your enemies, not kill them." So that's very clear for us to see. Um, but when you know Father Damien went and selflessly served the the leper colony um, and on Molokai, we look at that and say, actually, that does ring far truer to the, the, the Jesus that Damien claimed to follow. So we want to be able to just look at these little episodes and, and then give people a way of understanding this is in line with Jesus, this isn't in line with him.
1: And if we talk about the individual, and let's talk about Christian believers for a moment, who are looking to hear that tune ringing true, then this is the way that we can collectively gather around these beautiful elements of our faith, and uh, really honour God, because if we all recognise that tune, then we, we can head in the right direction.
2: Yeah, I think um, the documentary itself presents an apologetic for how people might um, navigate life in a post-Christian culture. And what I mean by that is that as a Christian, um, if, if Christians come to this conversation and are very happy to sort of own up to their own failings, and say, you know what, Jesus hated hypocrites, and I've been a hypocrite, and a lot of my Christian brothers and sisters throughout history have been hypocrites in the way they've acted, then I think that um, gives Christians a good uh, basis to start from because they're not standing in judgment on other people. If anything, they're standing in judgment on their own behavior, right? And so hopefully if Christians can own the sorts of things that have happened in history and, you know, be aware to – be alive to how that might happen in people's own lives today, then hopefully that gives them permission to then talk about the good, wonderful contributions that all of us, believers and non-believers, can be grateful for.
1: We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take some calls, Justine. Adrian is in remote WA. Hello, Adrian. Welcome along. G'day. Adrian, whereabouts in remote WA are you? Well, I'm in
3: Caratha. I'm the pastor of Caratha Baptist Church. And Adrian, just a lot
2: hello. Of time Sounds like you know each other. <laughs> yeah, hi, Adrian. How are you?
3: I, I'm very well. I couldn't help myself. I was uh, <laughs> just in the car and I went, I have to make a call. You, I'm so is... glad you did. Hello. <laughs> yeah, how <are> you going? <laughs> yeah, good, good. How are you? Yeah, good, good. I think, I think what you're talking about is just fantastic. Uh, I guess... I guess I'm, I'm at the forefront. If you like, I like to see, um, as a pastor here, Craft is a mining town, uh, lots of money, lots of individual, lots of self. People come here to do something for the self. They often, um, come here to get on top of their finances or for their family or, you know, whatever it is that their needs are. That's often how they come, including the Christians. And I think what, what's really resonating with me at the moment about what you're talking about is, is the reality that uh, that as we as we start moving beyond a post Christian society, I think what 's exciting is there 's going to be a distinction, and when you have a distinction, you have to clearly define what that distinction is and ultimately when when I came into uh, listening uh, you 're talking about love and and being able to love the person because they 're in the image of God and we'll, I think that's that's such an important distinction that we're gonna have to corporately, not just individual Christians, but corporately be able to express. So I guess some of the things we're doing up here is we're putting on the street chaplain program where we're walking the streets at night and we just wanna love with compassion uh the, the kids particularly that are that are that have no safe place. Uh, we, you know, we've just put together a vision and mission statement and our vision statement, we, we understood that distinction and that distinction very much, we just said, you know, what is our purpose? Well, we can talk about witness, but ultimately it's to love others as Christ loves us. And that love aspect, I think is going to be the distinguishing mark as we move beyond a post Christian, into a post Christian our society. Adrian, just
1: fabulous points you're making. I don't even want to uh, you know, sort of butt in here because I think I could <laughs> listen to you a little longer, but yeah. but we're running out of time. Uh, your response for Adrian, uh, because he's making some beautiful points Oh, uh,
2: Absolutely, and it just uh, made me remember that there was a second-century critic of Christianity. I don't know if, if you say Celsus or Kelsus, but he basically criticized the church as a religion of uh, slaves, women, and minors, and what he meant by that was that all the disgusting classes of society flocked to Christianity. And why would they do that? You know, because the Christians were the ones who rescued um, babies off rubbish heaps. They started the first like the, the the church was wealth the welfare state before the welfare state. They would kind of feed the poor. And um, as another early critic of Christianity said, they know they not only feed. Their own poor, they feed owls as well. This is the Emperor Julian, right? Mm. Um, so I absolutely agree with you, Adrian, that as we as we move forward into a post Christian world, there will be an opportunity for Christians to actually fly the flag for Jesus and to live as He's asked them to do—to care for other people. Because part of the wonderful thing of of living in a Christian culture for so long is that all these things we take for granted—the fact that Hospitals are there to, like, you know, public health exists, for example. And yet these are, um, Christian innovations. Um, as I said, the, the church provided the welfare state before the welfare state existed. And so we've taken, we've come to a point where we take, we've taken all these things for granted and now we'll have to sort of, sort of look at ourselves and say, well, what, how did we get this way? What's going on here? Those Christians are really kind of weirdly, uh, caring for other people. I don't really understand why they do that. It makes no sense in this survival of the fittest society, but yet they do that nonetheless. And hopefully, people will see something quite attractive in that. Just as the dispossessed classes of the early um, of the early century, uh, early centuries sort of saw in Christianity something different, and then they flocked to it as well. So, Adrian, I just love this idea of what you're doing with your street
1: chaplain program. And I wish you all the best for it. Adrian from Remote WA, Caratha. Thank you so much for your call today on 2020. one 316 Let's hear from Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Chris, are you with us? Chris, you might like to uh, call us back. Something's happened there. You've dropped out. 1-800-316-316. Let me just pick up on something that uh, came to mind while you're starting to share about uh, the health system. Uh, and other issues that really would have had their foundations in our Christianity uh, education and universities. And these are significant, and the evidence is so, so strong uh, to show the Christian influence there in the formation of those. If we go into a godless post-Christian future, those elements of what has been founded under this Christian ideal perhaps now would be open to exploitation by a post-christian society. What are your thoughts on on that idea, uh, Justine?
2: I am hoping that even if society has abandoned the idea of a transcendent god, that there would still be enough steam left in all these institutions of the west that we've come to love um that were that that did emerge out of a christian framework. I hope that they would continue but my concern is that you kind of lose the philosophical basis for for why those things are there in the first place, and it becomes harder and harder to mount a case for why you would do certain things um, if, if there's no um, yeah if, if there's no kind of metaphysical basis for them. So sorry that all that it's like very kind of high highfalutin.
1: <laughs> and, but you know the, the sorts of examples that come to mind. I'm thinking of the euthanasia debate that's now mm. raging in Victoria uh, and going to their upper house. Other uh, of others of these big ethical issues that we face that we would have seen as formed under a Christian ideal that there were limits on the way that those things could have uh, moved uh, and and the protections for people that would have been there because we saw people as valuable. Mm. Some of those things are evidence that moving to a to a post-Christian nation, uh, these things are now uh, happening in our day, in our very – it's happening in the news headlines today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, the Christian case when it comes to euthanasia, um, the, the Christian case that I've heard is not so much about, you know, oh, God has written and determined all the days of your life so you shall suffer even if you're kind of you know having a terminal illness, you just need to go. But they're saying very clearly that, um, you know, people feel so – at an extremely vulnerable time of people's lives, um, they can be persuaded – I know I could be probably be persuaded to sort of say, oh, you know, all this medical care is uh, eating up my children's inheritance. It would just be better if I kind of like, you know, just bowed out, really. You know, I, I can imagine myself saying that. Um, and so the Christian case against euthanasia is something like, well, think about the vulnerable people – who maybe uh, might be pressured to to sort of to to die in order to make way for future generations, and you know, like when you hear um, people talk about how they don't want to be a burden, like that's really interesting language, isn't it? Burden, mm. because if someone can no longer participate in the workforce or if they're no longer pumping money into the economy, then they're suddenly a drain on it, right? This is the, this is according to the logic, and so if someone is a burden on society, then they should be gotten rid of, right? Again, that diminishes each individual's value because they're made in the image of God, um and not for anything that they do, right? Just because it's it's God's free gift to them. So, uh yeah, I think that I, d- I don't know how the euthanasia debate is going to play out. It's quite scary how it's playing out in the kind of um the Norwegian and the and you know, the, the northern European countries. Um but yeah, I, I don't even know how we're, how that debate is going in Australia.
1: Uh I I worry about it, though. We will be monitoring those things along as they're happening in Victoria and suggestions of this coming into New South Wales and... Now, there's a Queensland state election. No doubt uh, people will be pressing uh, those candidates as to where they stand on that issue because uh, there was hints that it was uh, about to arise in Queensland as well. So, of course, South Australia defeated that just by a single vote. A little while back, Tasmania comfortably defeated the euthanasia push there, but there's lots of that going on. The interesting thing, though, is that when we talk about that connected with our conversation today connected with the things that are coming out in this new DVD uh, that's uh, that's ready for release early next year this documentary these are the sorts of things that we can point to and say this is the result this is the fruit of being in a post-Christian nation a biblical perspective on life culture and current events this is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio Dr. Justine Toe, our guest from the Centre for Public Christianity. Uh, Justine, we've been talking about the new documentary. It's got a number of uh, very significant elements to it. Uh, there's going to be a cinema release, a 90-minute version, and then that's going to be broken down into uh, various other uh, episodes. How do you describe what this end product's going to look like?
2: Well, we are envisioning a four-episode documentary um, the first episode looks at war and peace. So, uh, when Christians have gone to war in the name of Christ, but and how that's been an absolute perversion of Jesus' "love your enemies" message. But it's also uh, the Christian faith has also been um, the inspiration for for movements for nonviolence as well. So, for peace movements. So, we look at that in episode one, war and peace. Episode two looks at rights and wrongs. It looks at the development of human rights. And while we're not saying that that these are a Christian invention. We are making the case that, um, in some ways, it takes a long way. Like a culture needs to marinate for a long time in the Christian heritage to then come to the understanding that all humans have dignity of some of some uh, of some type. Um, and so, yeah, we're looking at the Christian influence on the development of human rights, and we're also looking at um, slavery and the the ways that Christians have not kind of you know followed the script that Jesus um, set out for for them. Uh, when it came to uh, according all human beings um, equal rights, because they enslaved them, um, but also as you all must know, um, William Wilberforce, a Christian, was was key um, in the in the push to to, to ab- abolish slavery. In episode three, we look at right, uh, riches and the rich and poor. So when churches have kind of hoarded wealth, but also when they've um, cared for the vulnerable and um, given away wealth. And Episode 4 looks at power, what's happened when Christianity's gone global, what's Christianity been like in relation to women, in relation to um, colonised peoples, um, and that sort of thing.
1: And undoubtedly, you and Simon Smart will be addressing some of those issues tonight when you're speaking in Brisbane at the Nexus Church, and then tomorrow night at the New Life Uniting Church on the Gold Coast, 7.30, both of those, they're free uh, is there a Q&A session at the end? Do you and Simon take questions?
2: Yeah, we will. So there'll be three talks. Um, I'll give a talk, Simon will give a talk, and then I think we're doing one together on the documentary. You'll probably see a sneak peek of it as well, Um, so please do come along for that, and then there will be a Q&A session.
1: And you've uh, done these sessions in Perth?
2: We have done one in Perth, and uh, we'll be going to Sydney um in early November, Um, speaking at Hillsong Church on November
1: 8th. All right, look forward to those. And uh, Dr. Justine Toe and Simon Smart from the Centre for Public Christianity, those meetings, the Nexus Church in Brisbane tonight, the New Life Uniting Church in Rabina tomorrow night, they'll be talking through those issues. And as you can tell, it is a very good and very deep topic to talk about, and they'll obviously be making lots of good reference to the upcoming a documentary called For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. Justine, thank you so much for taking time to drop in and to share your heart with our listeners today on 2020.
2: It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Before you go, thanks
0: for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported.